You are listening to the podcast of Calvary Church in Irwin, Pennsylvania. For more information, you can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com. Well, it's great to have you here. Uh, my name is Nick. I'm the lead pastor, and we have some special people up here today, and we'll get to uh, talk through that here in a minute. First of all, uh, happy Mother's Day, as Pastor Michael already mentioned. And uh, you might not be aware of this, but we uh, have a number of shelters across the city of Pittsburgh that participate, and uh, we so appreciate those. Uh, Today, uh, one of the shelters is Auburly, which is a family shelter, and we wanna give a big shout out to all the moms at Auburly. Got special coffee this morning, and we just appreciate what you're doing and uh, how, you're, how you're leading well, your family. And uh, also, wanna say a big thanks. We had a bunch of guys come out yesterday. We did a car care clinic for single moms, and uh, it rained, but man, it was an amazing day. And I just so appreciate, one, the generosity of our church that allows us to do that. Two, uh, the servant's heart of our church uh, coming out and taking the time to, uh, to invest in moms and to care for moms at a difficult time. So uh, thank you so much for all those that served and to make that possible. I'm so blessed to be part of a church like that. And today, uh, we're continuing a series that we started last week called The Safest Place on Earth. And uh, there's a book that kind of uh, we're, we're so, so, somewhat following, and uh, it's entitled uh, Becoming a True Spiritual Community by Larry Crabb. And if you are a first-time guest here, you can stop by the Connection Center today and get that book for free. Or if you're like, I'm not a first-time guest, but I'd like the book, you can also get it for $10. So if you wanna pick that up, great book. I encourage you to check that out because uh, you will definitely be blessed. It's an amazing book. And as we kind of kick things out, I wanna share this quote with you. Uh, it's a quote from a uh, Dutch priest and author's name uh, is Henry Nguyen. He said this, we probably have wondered in our many lonesome moments if there is one corner in this competitive, demanding world where it is safe to be released, to expose ourselves to someone else and to give unconditionally. It might be very small and hidden, but if this corner exists, it calls for a search through the complexities of our human relationships in order to find it. And, and this is kind of what we're talking about throughout this month, that there has to be a place in our world where we can be ourselves, that we don't have to wear the mask, that we don't have to project what we hope we will be, but that we can be ourselves and allow God to lead us toward what he wants us to be. And, and what we've been talking about this month is the safest place on earth should be spiritual community, what we refer to today as the church. Uh, and on this Mother's Day, we celebrate the women that have shaped us, loved us, and, and believed in us when no one else would. I, I think many of us would agree there is something unique about a mother's hug, about a mother's words, about a mother's love. And whether it be a mother or someone else that has had a big influence on our lives, there's something incredibly unique about how they've shaped our lives and helped us become who we are today. These people aren't, uh, haven't worked to bring us necessarily to a more comfortable place, but rather a more complete place, even when it makes us uncomfortable. Whether you're in sports and you've had a coach who has been this or, or a parent in your life or a boss or a mentor, they oftentimes are people who push us out of our comfort zone to find a place of greater completion. Think about this. For those of you that are adults, the most influential people in your life that raised you or have helped shape you, whether it was a mother or a father or maybe someone else, these aren't people that were okay with you simply sitting in the basement, on the couch, watching, or playing video games or watching reruns of The Office the rest of your life. Uh, 
right? They have called you to something more. They've pushed you off that couch, maybe literally off the couch. At some point, if they are the right people, the best influences in your life, they've pushed you to step out of that basement to do something with your life, to discover something about yourself, to walk away from what was familiar or even comfortable, and ultimately to pursue something more in your life. C.S. Lewis once said that if we discover desires within us, Uh, that nothing in this world can satisfy, then we really should wonder if maybe we were designed for another world. I don't know if you've ever thought this, but maybe that we were created, maybe you were created, maybe I was created for another world. Not not another planet. Um, You can nudge the person next to you and say, you're not created for another planet. Or maybe you are. Maybe you are. Um, No, I'm, I'm not talking about another planet. I'm saying that you were created for something that is greater than what you're experiencing right now. And on this Mother's Day, we want to have an important conversation about life and the life that each and every one of us were made to experience. Uh, Now, I'll be honest, this won't necessarily be an easy conversation, and I would argue that most of the important conversations in our lives usually aren't the easy ones. It's because it's a conversation about this tension that we oftentimes face in all of our lives, no matter our age or stage of life. It's the tension between what we like and what we long for. I have young kids, I deal with this tension on a regular basis. I like this, but I long for this. And we say this saying, maybe you've heard it before, you can't have your cake and eat it too, right? I don't know what that saying means, Um, sounds really weird, but what it basically means is you can't have both. You pick one or the other, okay? Uh, You can't just have what you like and what you long for, and we face this tension. Because what we long for oftentimes demands that we sacrifice something. You see, in every single one of us, there exists this internal wrestling match that we're experiencing and wrestling and working through. And for some, they give in to the tension and find themselves residing in a place where they are surrounded by everything they like and everything around them they like. We often refer to this as the pursuit of happiness. It's woven into the very fabric of being an American. But somewhere deep down inside in those comfortable, familiar places, we have this stirring that maybe there's something more than just being happy. That that something more is a pursuit of what we were ultimately made for. The issue is that it demands us to leave our place of comfort and familiarity. It's not a pursuit of happiness, it's a pursuit of wholeness. In in the book, uh, Becoming a True Spiritual Community by, by Larry Crabb that we're talking about this month, he describes these two places that we can find ourselves in as two separate rooms. A lower room, where the furnishings are familiar, where, where they're decorated with all the things that we like most. This is the place that we have created for ourselves and honestly, it's the place that we find the most comfort in. It's the place where we are told that we can find our true selves. But, but then he refers to another room. It's, he refers to it as an upper room. This is a place that is filled with furnishings that we never placed there, but were created for us. It's a place where our deepest longing for relationship and fulfillment ultimately is found. And it's a place that God has made for us but can never be experienced until we leave our place of comfort and familiarity. Something inside of us longs for a life that is bigger than what the lower room can possibly provide. The pains of our world are still present outside the upper room but they seem like shadows because first things are in the upper room and we recognize that everything else are second things. The lie of the lower room is that we can fix 
what's broken ourselves. Or, or that we can do whatever we put our minds to. The truth of the upper room is that we have all that we need and we can simply live a life from that place of total provision that God provides for us. And today, we wanna have this valuable conversation <clears throat> about the tension that's present between the lower and the upper room or, or between our pursuit of happiness and our pursuit of wholeness. In John chapter 10, uh, uh, Jesus speaks of a life that he longs for each and every one of us to experience, something that he created us for. It's found in John 10, 10. He said, I have come that you might have life, that they may have life and have it to the full. That full life isn't found in pursuing what makes us happy or helps us feel good. It comes with pursuing what we were created for. After all, that's the definition of fulfillment. In other words, we are image bearers. You and I are image bearers. We are created in the image of God and we were created for something that is unique and something special, but there is only one key that unlocks what we were created for, the life we were created for. Jesus speaks of this in John chapter 15, verse four. He speaks of this resident, taking up residence in this upper room. He said, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. It is in our willingness to abide and take up residence in the room that God has made for us that we will ultimately find the fulfillment, a fulfillment that can't be found in momentary happiness or circumstantial pleasure or achieving our, our dreams and our life goals. And for this conversation today, uh, we have uh, some, some people up here, some ladies, to, to kind of uh, talk through and wrestle with these two opposing pursuits. And uh, we have three moms, so I'm gonna introduce them, let them introduce themselves, I guess, and share uh, a little bit, and then we're gonna kind of walk through the tension of these two things. So if you guys wanna introduce yourselves. Hi, I am Sharon Pohl. I am foremost a believer in Jesus Christ, Secondly, I am the mother of two incredibly rambunctious children. <laughs> I have tried my hardest. Let me be honest with you. Throughout the year, no. I love my kids. I adore my kids. Um, this is my oldest. He is my favorite son. And... <laughs> He's my only son, but he's still my favorite son. I also have a daughter who is uh, the joy of my life, but I have four grandkids, and those grandkids are unbelievable. I think my favorite name ever is Gammy, so I'm Gammy. I am Rosemary, and I am a bonus mom, extra mom, second mom, stepmom, whatever you want to call it. In our house, we go by bonus mom because stepmoms are always evil and I am not evil. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm fun. But uh, yeah, and I have two incredible stepsons and I love it. I'm also a believer in Jesus. I feel like I need to announce that because Sharon did. And I feel like if I don't, then I'm communicating I'm not, but I am. My name is Amber Stevenson, and I also believe in Jesus. And I am a mother to um, two great children. I have my son, Nico, who's seven, and my daughter, Evie, who's three. 
Awesome. So share with us first, what is the biggest lesson you've learned as a mom? Biggest lesson of a, as being, being a mom? I'll start off. I think the biggest blessing, the biggest lesson I have learned, there's so many things, so many things I could say. But I believe that um, as I've thought about it and prayed about it, I think the most important thing is to see every moment for what it is and learn that there are moments when we need to laugh and have fun. And there are very strategic moments where we need to stop and listen and pour spiritually into our children and our grandchildren and see the lesson in each moment, even if it's something as ridiculous as getting a speeding ticket. What is the lesson in this? You know, you see what I mean. I mean, that was a hard not, conversation you had with my sister. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. She has never had a speeding ticket. She's gotten stopped for going too slow, but not a speeding ticket. My dear son, um, I do recall one with you, but that's okay. We, we, actually, I recall two, or maybe was that three? Anyway. Um, I truly believe that every conversation is a conversation in which lessons are being taught, whether we mean to or not, not necessarily that we're giving the right lesson. And that's where we need as mothers to be aware that we are teaching every moment. That's good. <laughs> You've been I'm a mom old. a while. I'm old. Yeah. <laughs> wow, wow. Um, so I've only been in this position since November. So, um, yeah, thanks, thanks, thanks. Um, so my biggest lesson is kind of unique to my situation and people with situations like mine, but, uh, the biggest lesson I've learned is, is that being a mom isn't genetic. It's not, you know, it's not about them being your blood. It's about you being there and being consistent and loving them like they're yours because they are. You're in charge of those two little humans. Um, and if they turn up to be jerks one day, that's on you. So we're teaching them to be gentlemen, not jerks in our house. It's a struggle sometimes, especially with the youngest one, but we love him. But that is my biggest lesson is that it's not biology, it's not genetics, it's your heart and the love that you have for those children. That's, that's my biggest lesson that I've learned this good. far. That's good. I'll make it quick. <laughs> so I think the biggest lesson for me as a mom has been humility. That being a mother is incredibly humbling because you have this responsibility and you feel this weight of needing to shape these young lives. And, um, you know, it can be comical too because you see a lot of your own flaws like reflected back at you from your children. And then you can argue with your spouse about whose fault that was. <laughs> they got that from you, I'm pretty sure. But um, it just, it, it's humbling in the sense that you know that you need God. Um, and I, I, I sense just how much I need God to raise my kids the way that they should be raised. Amber, I want to ask you a question here. Kind of on this conversation of uh, this tension that we're talking about. At what point did you realize you needed to leave that lower room or abandon that pursuit of happiness for something more? So um, the Bible says that eternity is written in our hearts. And I feel that from a very young age, I just felt that that longing and, and I just knew that there was something more to this to this life than what I could see around me and I can remember what one of my first 
encounters in the upper room. Um, we, it was a church service. I was um, a teenager, and the uh, we, we were having like a response time to just hear God's voice. And this would be like the first time I'm like, okay, I, I, my faith was like, I'm like, I know God's going to speak to me, and I was I was fully waiting to hear God's voice, and I really thought it was going to be like God's going to be like, okay, so we need to fix these things, and you know, you might want to work on this, but the first thing that I sense God just speak to me and just this overwhelming feeling was just of love. Like God was like, I love you so much. And that would be my first experience yeah. in the upper room. That's awesome. How, how, has that, how has that experience affected how you parent today, how you lead, how you live your life? Just that, that atmosphere of grace and being able to, to show my kids that there's nothing that they could possibly do that you know, I would ever, you know, that I would love them any less. And just the fact that when we pursue those eternal things, that's all that really, you know, matters in life. Rosemary, how do you see these two things conflicting, these two rooms, these two pursuits that we kind of talked about, of the upper room, lower room, or our pursuit of happiness and the pursuit of wholeness? How How do you see those conflicting? So I think it gets confusing sometimes too, you know, happiness versus wholeness, because people think that, well, if I'm happy, I'll be whole. And the they're not mutually exclusive. They don't go hand in hand all the time. And happiness, I feel like, is instant. Like, happiness is a quick, a quick high, so to speak, a quick joy, something that brings you happiness after a hard day, whether that's, for me, it was going and sitting and having a drink and two or 12. And that was my happiness. That's how I, I, I got that temporary high, but then the next day back came the depression and the loneliness and the sadness, and it was just this never-ending cycle. The wholeness that you get when you go up into that upper room is that the happiness sticks, and when you start to follow God's plan and you find yourself constantly in that upper room, and I'm not saying that like once you're there, you stay there, and it's super easy. No, you creep back downstairs, and then you're like, nope, nope, scary basement. So you go back upstairs, but the upstairs is this wholeness and this completeness, and the anxiety and the depression, they might still creep in, but it's less often, and you have God to lean back onto and to fall back onto, and it makes handling those things so much easier and so much smoother, and just the things that you get from being in this upper room and seeking him instead of that temporary high are just inexplainably so much better, and just this feeling of wholeness is amazing. What, what is the draw of the furnishings or what's in that lower room and in, in that, in that life? What, what, what is it the draw of, because I mean, I mean, if you step back, it's kind of obvious, but yet we all find ourselves back there. What is the draw of that? Amber just said it's comfortable, and I'm like, yeah, that's, yeah. that's it. It's comfortable. It's what you're used to. It's what you know. It's you know what to expect. You know what the feeling is going to be, and it's repetitive, and it's like, okay, I got this. This is... I, it's autopilot. When you venture up to the upper room, it's, it's harder. It's a decision that you have to make and that you have to continue to make until it becomes habitual. And you find yourself falling back down into that lower room because that's your habit. That's what you're used to. That's your comfort zone, so to speak. That's your safe space, but it's not. It's, it's where, you know, these thoughts creep in and they tell you, you know, you're not good enough and, you know, you're not worth it and all this other stuff. But when you get up to that upper room and you change that habit, the things that you hear and the things that you tell yourself, you're like, wait, no, I was beautifully and wonderfully made. Yeah. No, I was made for such as a time as this. No, like there are people that love me. Yeah, the truth, 
you're like, she's like, that's truth. That's truth. And I'm like, yeah, that is truth. But, but it, it's true. It's the truth. It's not these lies that are, are meant to tear you down and pull you from that upper room and yeah. suck you back down to that habit and to that comfortable place because it's so much more comfortable once that becomes your habit in the upper room. It's a comfort that you never knew and yeah. you never experienced or missed out on until you got there and you're like, this is it. This is wholeness and happiness. Preach it. That's good stuff. Mom, um, why do we struggle to pursue wholeness instead of pursuing happiness? What, what, what is the big struggle of that? Wow. Um, we pursue happiness because it is instantaneous and it is easy. Happy is easy. I can go get an apricot Danish and I'm happy. But to pursue wholeness is to cook a, make a home-cooked meal, to do all the hard things, to do the right things. To It takes work. It really takes work. It takes effort. It takes discipline. It takes so much more than just an instantaneous apricot danish. It, is, it takes work, but it's so much better because I cannot... My life cannot be sustained on an apricot Danish. I need the vegetables, I need the meat, I need the dairy, I need the good stuff. And the good stuff, the good stuff's hard. Yeah, so many settle for happiness when they were created for something more. I think of this analogy, and this is probably a horrible analogy on Mother's Day, but I love going to car shows, and you see a Lamborghini sitting there. Um, I know it's a horrible Mother's Day analogy, but you're gonna it's, stick it's with good. me. It's all good, it's good. So, uh, you, you go to a car show and there's this Lamborghini sitting there. I mean, this is like $80,000 car that can go zero to 60 in seconds. And it looks awesome. It's shiny, it's clean, it's amazing. You're only seeing a fraction of what it was made to do. Like it wasn't made to just sit there and look pretty. Like that car was made to go really fast. Oh yeah. And so many people are these Lamborghinis sitting there looking. Watch how fast you go. Now we know why you got the speeding tickets. <laughs> how many? I've never driven a Lamborghini, but maybe someday. Um, it doesn't take a Lamborghini to get a ticket. That's true. That's true. This is very true. true. So, so true. Yes, it is. Why do people settle for being only a fraction of what they were created for? Why do they settle for less than what they were made for? When I was growing up, my parents drank instant coffee. It was, I don't know why, I, they just drank instant coffee when I was really young. And I grew to love instant coffee until I tasted freshly brewed. And then I realized there was so much more. I realized that instant was not where it was. It took that effort to make, to freshly grind the beans, to slowly brew it, to just cultivate that incredible flavor. Okay, I love coffee, but my life is so much more than just instant coffee. My life is worth going through the efforts to get that wholeness. And that's why we go for the instant, because it's quicker, it's easier. It's the this is good enough mentality. Exactly. This is good enough. Yeah. This will do. You yeah. feel like you're not worth That's right. the extra effort. You're That's not right. worth that extra time. And if there's anything that you can leave today with, this is it. 
you were created for more than just it's good enough. That's right. You were created for more than it's just good enough. You were created for more than that. And don't let anyone, I don't care who they are, what title they have, don't let anyone ever tell you you were just created for what's just good enough. You were created for so much more than that. And don't you ever forget that. That isn't my words. Those are God's words and he made you. Um, and that means so much. Uh, Amber, I wanna ask you this. How does, the, how does what the Bible calls our flesh get in the way of what only the spirit can produce in us? So we kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier, just the fact that um, the flesh tells us that we can do it on our own. Our flesh tells us that um, we don't smell that bad, so to speak. <laughs> so see, yeah. Do I smell you bad? You do not smell bad. So C.S. Lewis puts it this way, that you know, in that lower room, that basement, it's a cesspool. You know, yeah. we, we, the smell of our own sin, and we all have it, but we all wanna tell ourselves we're not as bad as what, you know, we really are. And it isn't until we can really come to terms with what's in that lower room that we can really step into that new identity that we have in the upper room and be who God wants us to be. It's really good. One second, sorry. No, no, I just no, wanna no, build no, on no, that. Yeah, go, go. <laughs> I did, I did in everybody's mics. Don't put me in the middle, but. Whenever I first started coming to church here and I very first got saved, I would like tell this joke at the bar. I'm like, sit. they're like, I thought you were going to church tomorrow. And it'd be like 1 a.m. And I'm like, sin on Saturday, saved on Sunday. But it's that kind of mentality. Like, well, I'm going to church. This is good enough, you know? And there's that good enough again. Like, yeah, I'm getting hammered on Saturday, but I'm worshiping on Sunday. That's good enough. And it's not. Like, you really gotta hone in on it. You gotta walk out of that room. You can't just keep going back and Correct. forth. Correct. You can't keep going can't up and down Can't be an occasional visitor. It's too much cardio. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Amber, how, how does spiritual community look different when we reside in the upper room of our life? How, how does that look different, our interaction with others? I absolutely love this concept. So like, so that, that whole idea of um, how we can appeal to each other in our lower room. We, we're appealing to each other through our brokenness and like we're looking at the problems and we're trying to, to fix the issues. But when we appeal to one another in the upper room, it creates this safe space where we're seeing each other literally how God sees us. We're seeing the gold in one another and there's nothing more redeeming. There, like the growth that takes place when we're able to look at one another and, and see each other from the upper room and it, it, it does, there's no jealousy, there's no resentment, there's no judgment, there's no condemnation. We we can come, we can be real with one another, and we don't have to fear all those things, and that's where true growth happens. Yeah, that's so good. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Let me ask you this, Rosemary. How do our interactions change when our pursuit is wholeness and not happiness, our interactions with each other? Drastically, how you treat other people. Um, I'm gonna call out my husband for a second. I'm sorry, I love you so much. But just yesterday in the car, we like had this moment. Somebody cut him off on the highway and he like freaked out for like 10 minutes and almost killed like two other people because this guy almost killed us and moved on with his life and didn't care. Like that guy was gone, he exited the highway, but he's not in his head, he's like, oh yeah. But it, I'm like, don't let that one person ruin our day, our car, like, if you wreck our car, that guy's gone. He don't care. But that's how, like, the best metaphor and visual I can give you is, is don't let 
the downstairs people bring you down. You need to lift them up. So don't let this one moment and this one thing and this one negative interaction ruin the rest of your day and drag you back down to that lower room. You've got to just kind of brush it off and be better. And that's what I told him. I looked at him. I'm like, do better. And he's just like, wow, that was harsh. But I'm like, (laughs) but it's true. Like, be better. Be better than that guy. Don't be the same as that guy. We don't want to be level. We want to look in our mirrors before we change lanes. I've found in that, in that lower room when we're pursuing happiness that what we're pursuing is pleasure. And we sacrifice everyone around us for the sake of our own pleasure. It's the selfishness of, of just our human nature. And in that upper room when we're pursuing wholeness, it's purpose. Like we sacrifice what we need to to get to the purpose, not everyone around us. And in, in our interactions, we end up, at some point, the people around us are gonna pay a price. Exactly. Right? Yep. At some point, we're going to wreck into them. Yep. But when we are pursuing wholeness, when we're pursuing that upper room, not that we live there forever, like we find our way down sometimes, but when we're, we're striving, working to, to live a life of wholeness and pursue that, we're pursuing purpose. And even when we fall short, we still keep working towards that, that goal. And, and what we end up sacrificing aren't the people around us. We end up sacrificing the things inside of us that need to go, yep. that hold us back from that. Um, along those lines, how does our discovery of the upper room change our view of what has been comfortable and familiar in our lives in that lower room? You realize that the things that make you comfortable and the habits that you had don't bring you that wholeness. When you move to the upper room and you feel that sense of wholeness and you feel that sense of, wow, like I can be better, I can be better, I can do better, and you leave that good enough mentality yeah. behind and you seek the greater, the high, so to speak, that you get from that is so much better than that temporary one that you got in the lower room. Sharon, let me ask this mom, whatever you want me to call I'm you. I'm mom. <laughs> Don't you forget it. <laughs> Gammy, Gammy P. Okay, Gammy P, I, I, I can hold that. What role do our thoughts have in what we're ultimately pursuing in life? Okay, our thoughts... I have a very active thought life. I have a very active imagination, and I can, yeah, I can, um, and it can go places, and I'm not talking about um, bad, dirty places. I'm talking about it can go places of depression, of anxiety, of failure, of bringing me down. Um, It's so important to keep our thoughts. God's word tells us in Corinthians to take captive our thoughts. And I've had a hard time dealing with that sometimes. And I've had to learn. I literally, and this is, if you ever see me doing this when I'm driving, I apologize now, now, but there are times when I just literally grab the thought like that and say, okay, God, it's yours. Okay, God, pull it out of my mind. Just take it away from me. Um, I think trying to tie part of this together, happiness is so me-centered. I want to be happy. I, 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 oh, this feels good to me. Oh, this is, and the wholeness, I have to capture the thoughts of me and turn them towards others and towards Jesus. And when I'm whole, I'm more 
my thoughts are more, more towards him. I find when I'm spending more time reading God's word and praying that the Holy Spirit takes over my thoughts to the place where it brings a sanctification, a holiness, a sacredness with my thoughts. And maybe those um, TikToks aren't quite as appropriate to be watching. And I'll get Look rid of that. that. And Look it, at no, that. You just threw in TikTok. Good job. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not as old as you think I am, Nick. Um, <laughs> But I live in a very real world. I really do. And I realize that uh, every one of us, I don't care if you're 10, 30, 40, or 50 like me. Okay, <laughs> that was a lie. If you're 50, then I'm in my 20s. This is true. <laughs> this is true. Okay, but... If you're in your 20s, I wasn't born yet. <laughs> ah! <laughs> Okay, you think it was really easy to get the three of us together with him. <laughs> you have no idea what he's had to put up with us, yeah. trying to figure out what we're going to wear and just how we're going to sit. Anyway, um, back to the thought process, back to it. Well, let me ask this. One of the things that we often spend most of our time thinking about are the negative things, the, the, the critics, the people who uh, don't like us or, or don't like something about us. And, and all of the nice things that people have said, we, we don't really dwell much on. We dwell on all that. Amber, I wanna ask you this question. Like, when we are striving for that wholeness, when we are living in the upper room, how does it affect our view of critics, our, our, uh, how we process the critics in our life? Right, and so like in the lower room, we care what the critics have to say um, because in the lower room, there's this sense of insecurities. There's a sense of needing approval and wanting to be accepted. But when you're in the upper room, you have approval, you are accepted, you have security. So then all that matters is God's approval and yeah. you don't get so hung up on what other people are thinking. Because we spend a lot of time spinning our wheels trying to please those critics. Right. Uh, let me ask this, Rosemary. Uh, what does pursuing wholeness or finding residence in the upper room, what, what does it do for, uh, or how does it change our image of Christ or our image of ourselves, like our identity? You find a new identity. Uh, you find your identity in who Christ made you to be, and you don't let the outside world influence, which is super important nowadays, and I, I'm also the youth director here, so I talk to the teenagers a lot, and there is a lot of outside influence revolving around identities today and I think when you get into that upper room you don't listen to the outside world you don't let them tell you who you are you let Christ tell you who you are and you discover your purpose and you discover who you're meant to be and you don't listen to that outside influence and it's not easy I mean the Bible says things like die to your flesh daily and pick up your cross and you know it's going to be hard sometimes to pursue that and to stay on that track, especially with the outside world telling you 147 different things. But it makes it easier to stand in that confidence of who Christ made you to be. Identity isn't about who you are or who the world tells you you are. None of that matters. It's about who Christ made you to be. He created you in the womb. He chose your identity. He chose who you were gonna be, what you were gonna do. And when you die to your flesh daily and you follow that, 
it's just, it's easier. And there's less anxiety and there's less depression because your confidence, yeah, there's freedom in that. Yeah, preach. That's good. <laughs> but yeah, there's freedom in that. In, in, uh, in, in, in the book, uh, Larry Crabb goes through these four provisions of, uh, of the upper room. And I just wanna share these and then kind of, we'll, we'll just kind of wrap up uh, getting thoughts on these. The first provision is a, a new purity. Uh, and uh, in, in Hebrews 9, we see this passage that talks about the sacrifice of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, where they sacrificed animals to, to gain purity. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this yet, we haven't sacrificed an animal. Um, there's no blood up here. Um, we don't practice that anymore. Why? Because there's a new purity, and it's a purity that is made possible through Christ. Um, the second is a new identity. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. As Rosemary just said, we have a new identity. So a new purity, a new identity. The third one is a new inclination. Uh, and in and, and, uh, Romans 7, Paul's writing about the things I want to do and I don't do what I want to do. If you ever want to read it, it's a, a fascinating chapter and it, it can sound confusing like I don't do what I want to do but I do what I don't want to do and there's a lot of words in there. And, and what he's getting at is we have this thing inside of us, it's our human nature that un, oftentimes causes us to do the things we are working really hard not to do. Like we're trying so hard not to do those things and we say the thing or we do the thing that we've tried hard not to and there's something inside of us that keeps bringing us back to that. We keep trying to get up to that upper room and we keep getting pulled back to the lower room. And, and when we find ourselves taking up residence in the upper room, we are pursuing something different more than happiness but wholeness. It changes our inclination, meaning it changes our desires. Uh, and, and Paul writes uh, in the second part in verse 25 of, of Romans 7, he says, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in, uh, I'm, but I find my, so then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. And he's saying I'm now delivered from that slavery to the law of sin. Uh, so we have this new inclination uh, that we don't have to just do what we want to, we do what, what honors God. And the last one, not only a new purity, a new identity, a new inclination, a new power. In Acts 1.8, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So we have this new purity, we have a new, uh, new inclination, uh, a new identity, and a new power. So last question I wanna ask you, ladies, how do these provisions affect how we live and ultimately what we pursue? Me first? Yeah. We'll start in the middle. It's where the peanut butter and jelly goes, it's the best. <laughs> I don't know why my brain it's went true. there. It's but, true, But right? <laughs> or cheese, but. So, what was the question again? How, how do those... <laughs> How do those provisions, those four provisions Larry Crabb talks about, how does that affect how we live and what we ultimately pursue? Oh, yes. So I think it affects literally every aspect and area of your life um, because you remove yourself from that lower room and you leave all of the things that made you who you were behind and you become all of the things that Christ made you to be. And it's not easy, it's not easy. It's a struggle every day sometimes. 
but it's worth it. And it changes your outlook on life. It changes how you interact with other people. It changes how you raise your children in regards to today, Mother's Day. Because it, it, you want them to not have the struggles in the lower room that you had. You wanna try to implement these things at a young age so that way they don't have the struggles that you had. And they're gonna have their own journey. They're gonna have their lower room and their comfortable place. But as their parents, it's our job to pull them to that upper room and guide them to that upper room a little bit quicker than maybe some of us got there, like myself. Can I, but, can I say something on that real quick? Yeah. One of the things I heard uh, someone say one time, this is such a powerful thing, I've tried to do this with our kids. If you can identify at a young age what your kids' insecurities are, and oftentimes, like Amber said, they will reflect yours. If you can identify at a young age what your kids' insecurities are and, and create a simple statement that you tell them all the time that helps offset that insecurity. Affirmations. It's an affirmation yep. that you're saying to them. And it's not just about repeating it. It's helping pull them out of that lower room into the upper room. And your words are a big part of that as a parent speak that. that yeah, that's not just a parent, but it can be even a friend. Mm-hmm. When you identify with that insecurity, when you realize it, s- say that affirmation to them to, to counteract that. Amber, what, were you, what are your thoughts? I was just going to say, I, I feel like, yes, it's hard work, but it's the work worth doing because it, it brings about eternal fruit. It's, it's, it's what's real. It's what's lasting. And I also just want to say to you, it changes just our frame of mind of how we look at ourselves and we look at our lives and we look at our struggles. Because, I mean, we, we a lot of the times think when things are going wrong or our, we, we fall on our faces that, you know, everything's undone. There's no hope. But when we live in that upper room mentality, we realize that God will take every single situation, every single failure, every single painful thing we've ever been through, and he will turn it around for our good because he uses all of those things to shape us into yeah. our new identity. So it changes even how we frame the bad things, the hard things in life. It's good. It's good. Mom. Okay. What were those four things real quick? It so was a, a new, new identity. A new a new purity, purity, a new identity, identity a new inclination, a new power. Okay, Those are the provisions. four things. Um, what is so incredible about this is before each one is the word new. And as I was going over these and over these, God's word tells us every day his mercies are new unto us. And so every day I can have all four of these things all over again. And if I totally failed yesterday, I can wake up and go to that upper room once again. I can, maybe I, I went to the lower room and decided I was staying there. But when I wake up in the morning, his mercies, the new inclination, the new identity, the new, I've missed one. New power. New, no, what was the first one? New purity. New purity. And the new power, every day, they are new to me and they are good to me. And they are what he has for my wholeness. It's good. There's one thing I just really yeah. want to say yeah. to build off of that. I'm sorry. And then I'm done. Go ahead. No, no. But there is no, because we're talking about a lower room and an upper room. So I'm going to use this visual. There is no fall down the steps that is greater than God's grace is. No matter how hard you face plant in that lower room at the bottom of the staircase, God's grace is bigger than any mess up because it's new every day. You can come back and ask for it every day. So like if you fall, 
You're not like, oh, wow, that was a big one. I broke my leg down here on the floor at the bottom of the staircase. I ain't getting back up. God will lift you up. He will make a means for you to get back up to the upper room because his grace is larger. He can redeem anything. What I love about the, the as the worship team comes here, we're gonna to wrap up. What I love about uh, his wording, Larry Krabs, is it's a provision. It's That's not right. something we do. It's That's not right. something we work at. It's a provision that God provides uh, for us. You know, and on this, on this Mother's Day, you know, some of us are gonna enjoy an incredibly special time with our moms or maybe your grandmother or the people who are special in your life. For others of you today, uh, this is a day of pain. Remembering the women that have shaped your life but no longer are here. Or maybe even the people you wish uh, were here but uh, never have been, never were. Our response to the joy or the sorrow of a day like today can be incredibly formative. Just as the wise words shared from a matriarch can impact each of our lives, hear these important words today, and I want you to hear this. We were made for community, all of us. We were made to be in relationship with each other. This idea of spiritual community isn't just like a wishful thinking. It's what we were made for. The author of Hebrews says, do not neglect the gathering with each other. Because that we spur each other, we push each other. We need community. I don't care how self-sufficient you are, how powerful you are, how driven you are, how stubborn you are. We all need community. But that community, those relationships will eventually fall apart, left to their own devices because of our pride, because of our insecurities and our own struggles that all become driving forces in our lives when we live in the lower room that we've talked about today. When we are pursuing happiness, at some point, things will be sacrificed for the sake of that pursuit that ultimately were meant to fulfill us. But, but in the upper room, in our pursuit of wholeness, we find true spiritual community, relationships that are life-giving, fulfilling, and meaningful. Not because the people in the upper room are any better, but because they are pursuing Jesus, not pleasure. And as, as we close, my question for you today isn't how are you celebrating this day, but rather how are you pursuing, what are you pursuing today? What room have you allowed yourself to settle into? What changes do you need to make to vacate the lower room built on pleasure, on familiarity, and on the pursuit of your true self for the sake of the upper room? This is a place not built on what you like, but what you ultimately long for. The deepest desires God created within us as he has formed you in your mother's womb. And before we go, I wanna take a moment to pray. And you know, we oftentimes take time to pray. And, and if you're not familiar, maybe for you, prayer is just a religious exercise. But it's not a religious exercise. It's reaching into that upper room to a God that is sovereign, is good, and has incredible grace in saying, God, I need you in this moment. And if you can stand with me this morning before we go, and we're gonna pray. And I'm gonna ask you to participate in prayer. And here's what I want you to do. We need spiritual community. We need people who are in that upper room with us to pursue Jesus together. The people around you, you might not know them all, but you need them, and we need them, and they need you. And here's what I wanna do as we close. I want you to take the hand of the people next to you, 
So take a hand of the person next to you. If you're like on an aisle, you can reach across the aisle. It's okay to do that. If you're in one of the shelters today, I want you to, those who are participating in church around you, stand up. I want you to take, take the person's hands. And as we pray, I want you to pray for the person on your right and your left. You might not know what to pray for, and that's okay, you don't need to. Here's what I want you to pray for. I want you to pray that they would know Jesus more this week, that Jesus would become an even greater force in their life, and that the obstacles that keep them from going to that upper room would be removed, that they could experience the fulfillment, the security, the safety of that place, a safety that isn't found in their ability or their work or their effort, a safety that is found in the work of Jesus that has been done for them. So as we pray, I want you to pray for the person to your right and your left. Even if you don't know their name, you can just call them that person. God knows their name. And I want you to pray for them because we need each other. So let's pray this morning before we go. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for what you have provided for us. God, you have provided the people around us, the, the, the people whose hands we are holding. Thank you for providing for us, Lord. God, I thank you for creating this upper room, Lord, this pursuit of wholeness that Jesus, you died on the cross for. And I pray, God, for each of us in this room, Lord, that we this week would have more of Jesus in our lives, less of us and more of you, Lord. God, that we would find this place of wholeness in moments, Lord. Maybe we have struggled, Lord, to, to drift back to that lower room, Lord, to that place of happiness, but Lord, I pray that you would remind us, Holy Spirit, draw us to a place of wholeness, to a pursuit of wholeness, Lord. God, I pray that we would taste of this spiritual community that you long for us to have, and God, that we would never let go, that we would pursue it whatever it costs, because this is what we were made for, this is what you shaped us for. God, I pray you would help us to encourage one another, not in an effort to, 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 to calm our insecurities, but in an effort, Lord. Lord, to help us become more like Jesus. Thank you, God, for what you're doing. Thank you for how you're moving, how you're shaping us. God, thank you for how you're sometimes, uh, God, uh, smoothing the rough edges in our life, how you're pruning some of the things in our life that need to be pruned. Thank you for the people who are in our lives who don't let us settle for what's comfortable, but push us, Lord, to be uncomfortable. Push us, Lord, to be more of what you want us to be and what you created us to be. God, I pray on this Mother's Day that today would be a day of joy. God, today would be a day of comfort for those that need that. Today would be a day of strength, God, for those that are weak. We thank you for all that you do. God, all that you provide for us. Thank you for the provision of a, of a new purity, Lord, a, a new identity, Lord. Lord, a new inclination, Lord. Lord, this new power that you have for us. Thank you, Lord, for all that you've provided for us. Lord, let us live a life God, in the, in, in the context of those provisions. God, go with us today. Let us represent you well in everywhere we go. Lord, let us, God, be uh, ambassadors of spiritual community. God, even in places that aren't spiritual. Lord, let us carry your grace, your love, and your mercy to those around us. In our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, in the grocery store, let us carry that grace and mercy. Thank you for all that you're doing. Go with us and strengthen us. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Pastor Nick Poole, the lead pastor at Calvary. We're so glad you joined us for today's podcast. I hope you enjoyed the message. At Calvary Church, we're passionate about leading people into an overflowing life with Jesus. We would love the opportunity to connect with you on your faith journey and hear what God is doing in your life or join you in prayer for any needs you might have. You can visit us online at calvaryirwin.com or send us an email at info at calvaryirwin.com. On our website, 
you'll find previous week's messages, a list of upcoming events, as well as resources designed to help you take those next steps on your journey of faith. See you next week, and may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace.